It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchin. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchin. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here on the broadcast. We are going through the Bible verse by verse. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians now for some time and deviating only a little bit. Every now and then we have some special guests in the studio. But today we continue on in our study of 1 Corinthians 13. Now last week we ended in verse 7 and just started to cover in brief the many details and aspects of love. Now, this is the love chapter, after all. This is 1 Corinthians 13. This is the one that you hear at at weddings and and various ceremonies. But there is so much here that gets lost in the almost the superficial aspect of love, where we think of very surface-oriented eros, uh, very uh, erotic, or uh, some expression of human form of love, when rather this is agape love. This is a the definition of love as God is able to give it, and that we're to exhibit as well, and that only comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And so let's recapture here for just a moment these few verses of the definitions of love. Now, understand here that if you have missed the prior broadcast, please feel free to go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, and there on our website, calvaryfountain.com, we have the list of broadcasts. You can go through and re-listen to all the prior shows. You can even find our videos of of the teachings that are taking place on Sundays. Right now, we're in the book of Matthew. Uh, So I hope you enjoy that. That resource is there for you to use as often as you like. Share with your friends and family. Teach small groups of your own. Again, we're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry, as it tells us to do in Ephesians chapter 4. So here we are. Let me uh, reread for you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7, and this is really going to take most of our broadcast here today. It says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So let's look at uh, some of the definitions here. We'll we'll take it even, that's the New King James that I just read to you, and we'll look at it even from the NASB and, and just really get a, a synopsis here, an understanding of what is being taught to us about love, because that's a lot uh, that we often fail short. Uh, we, we're just we're just failing in this area. We fall short constantly in in exhibiting the love of God. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. Now, number one, love is patient. That's what he's describing for us here. It suffers long. Okay, that's long suffering. The Greek language has several words for patience, and those words are hupomone and makrothumeo, respectively, and and both are different, but yet the King James renders this particular word as long-suffering. I like that, because the, the Apostle Paul seems to be saying that love doesn't have a short fuse. It doesn't lose its temper easily. So a person who exercises this agape love does not lose their patience with other people. It's so easy to do. But love never says, I'm going to give you just one more chance. Okay, love is patient. Love is forgiving. Truly, if we exhibited this kind of love, 
we could not take offense against our brethren. Now, we shouldn't be so easily offended, so easily broken or, 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 or distraught over the things that other broken people do because we're so confident in our identity in Jesus Christ. And think about how our relationships with our spouses would be. Oh, if we exhibited that kind of love, just that ingredient of agape love right there could save many marriages. So it's easier for me to be patient with others, I think. When I evaluate each situation through the lens of gratitude and humility, I find that, uh, well, I need to exhibit this patience for everyone, okay? It's easier for me to be patient with, with myself, probably, even more so than others. I mean, really, if I, if I examine myself against this lens of love, what I find is, for all of us, we're uh, probably short-fused with most folks. Even as we're driving down the interstate, maybe you might be listening to this right now, you're driving down the road, and, and you may have already lost your temper with a few folks. Okay, Again, with the lens of seeing how Jesus saw, feeling as Jesus felt, and doing as Jesus did, then it will be a lot easier for that fuse to get a, a lot longer. It's so long, in fact, that we should, we should not lose our temper, okay? We shouldn't be so impatient with other folks, okay? Uh, loving people are th- that are, I don't know, something about these kind of people that you surround yourself with, that these, these individuals who finally get it, they're willing to tolerate the shortcomings of others a lot more than it seems like other folks do. I, I mean, they're so patient, so generous, even uh, you can even see them mistreated at times, and they just deflect it. I mean, they are so confident in who they are in Jesus Christ. They, they're generous. They're gracious. They, they seem to have exhibit a great deal of patience, even when being persecuted by others. I love that. I love that. God, God wants you and me to grow in patient love for those whom we minister to and with. And it starts right in our home. So number two, love is kind. Now, I went through the couple of these last week. This may say seem a little repetitive, but it's good that we just go back through this once more. But love is kind. According to Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said it, it was the kindness, the goodness of God that was exercised toward us that led us to salvation in the first place. And our love toward other people will act just as purposefully and consistently. So patience must be accompanied by a positive reaction of goodness toward the other person. Kindness is not to be equated with giving everybody what they want. I mean, sometimes love has to be tough. Sometimes we have to say no to that spoiled child. Sometimes it means we withhold what harms and we give what heals. So love is kind, but it has to be a a tough love sometimes. And Dr. Dobson wrote a great book on that. So Paul followed the two positive expressions of love here with eight verbs that indicate what love does not do. And you've got to remember here that the Corinthian church to whom he's writing, they were an envious group of people. They were boastful, proud rude, self-seeking. You think, well, that's, a, that's an awful lot to say there about these folks you never met. Well, a, a truth be told here, it tells us this in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 all the way to chapter 11, even chapter 14, we're given these descriptions of what was going on there in the church. And this is a church that the apostle Paul planted. So think about that. They're not that far removed from the actual events of when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross and the gospel message then going forth across the globe. 
They're not that far removed, and yet the people are already acting in this way. So we need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack here, knowing that we, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, even in 2020, can find ourselves misbehaving and exhibiting the very things we ought not to exhibit. We've got to get back to this posture of love. Love is absent when these type of behaviors are evident. We have forgotten our first love and start to exhibit the behaviors of the old man. So the next one here is that love is not jealous. Dezeloo. Okay, that's the verb there. It's, it's used in a positive sense here, but it can also have a negative sense of being jealous and envious. Okay, jealousy implies being displeased with the success of others. Yet true love desires the success of others. That's very difficult for us to do, truth be told. We don't celebrate the accomplishments of other people very well. If they're our own children, uh, that, that's a different story. We love to brag about our children because they seem to reflect us. If they're successful in sports or education, if they're academics and so forth, it, this seems to reflect us. So, of course, we're quick to be boastful, even proud of our children, perhaps uh, in good ways and not so good ways, uh, when when they have a great deal of accomplishments. Uh, but, but what we find ourselves struggling in is when our brethren do the same thing. If those around us seem to be doing well for themselves, we struggle to be happy for them. Now, in fact, we try to find their weaknesses to bring them back down to our level instead of celebrating and rejoicing what God has done. So the jealousy of God is pure and undefiled. It desires only the best interest of his people. That's the positive aspect of that verb from 2 Corinthians 11 and Exodus chapter 20. However, the jealousy of man is often very self-serving, as we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. So the best way to cure envy is to pray. Pray sincerely for those whom we're jealous of. To pray for them is to demonstrate true love. And selfish jealousy cannot exist in the same heart that's filled with sincere agape love for somebody else. Now let's move on. Love does not brag. (laughs) Okay, the root word for brag in Greek is a very picturesque and is often closely associated with two words that we put together in the English. Ready for this? Windbag. <laughs> That's those two words together. Windbag is where we get of the Greek word brag. Okay, this is this is the only location in the New Testament for this Greek word, perperiome, and it's like a windbag. Okay, somebody who, who's just full of hot air, and they talk a, a big talk, and there seems to be no substance. It's very egotistical, which agape love is not. Love is not big-headed, but big-hearted. And this means the more loving you become, the less boasting you need to do because you're fully confident in who you really are in the image of Jesus Christ. Your identity is no longer wrapped up in what people think of you by your exterior, how, what you drive, what home you live in, how, you, uh, how your attire is in appearance, and even how you smell and your hair and all the things that we spend an awful lot of money on to try to evoke and even provoke a certain emotion from those around us. It it becomes so less about that. That that becomes so little in our minds because our mission and identity becomes so filled with Jesus Christ that we find ourselves able to truly love those around us and, and celebrate what God is doing in their lives. So when you and I brag, we're, we're demonstrating our insecurity, honestly, and our spiritual immaturity. 
So Paul states that bragging is the opposite of biblical love. Hence, we should pursue Christ so that we'll be humble before him and others. Now, love is also, love is not arrogant. Now, the term arrogant here refers to grasping for power. It's another verb for arrogant here in the Greek is fousi-o-o, fousi-o-o. And it's used several times in this letter as Paul chides the Corinthians for their arrogance. We see this in verse 4 a number of times, chapter, excuse me, chapter 4 a number of times, chapter 5 and chapter 8. So it's more serious than bragging. It's it's grasping for praise, if you will. Okay, so arrogant people tend to push themselves into leadership using people as stepping stones and always consider themselves exempt from the requirements of all the other mere mortals. Okay, so arrogance disrespects others and it carries this disdain for others even. So God calls us to serve others and to be gracious toward them. And number six here is is that love does not act unbecomingly. And this word is best translated as rude. Love does not act in a rude manner. There are some Christians who seem to take delight in being blunt, justifying it on some grounds of just being honest with you, okay? And they say, I'm just telling you like it is. But love doesn't always tell it like it is. It it doesn't always verbalize all its thoughts, and, and particularly if those thoughts don't build others up according to their needs, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. So there's a, there's a graciousness in love which never forgets that courteous, tactfulness, or even politeness as love should do. And we see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. We see the Apostle Paul instruct Timothy in the same way. It's not enough to just simply teach God's word and to do so with uh, you know, strength and passion and truth, and, and that's what we've got to do, but you have to do it with gentleness, with, with, with care and concern for the individual receiving it. I often have to hold myself accountable to this every time I preach God's Word, because there were times that I would preach God's Word, and I would see people leave from a service. Now, immediately as a pastor, you're thinking, uh, well, they just can't handle the truth. Well, wait a minute. I need to self-reflect here for a moment. Did I deliver the truth in an arrogant way? Did I deliver the truth that wasn't gentle? Uh, Maybe it was self-serving a little bit, maybe a little pride in myself rather than being sensitive to where they're at in their life. I can deliver the truth and not compromise the truth if I'm sensitive to where that person is as well, right? We have to be gentle even to our weaker brethren and sisters, Right, and, and we just covered that to great deals. We were going through First Corinthians chapter eight, even. I mean, there's a lot that we can learn here about how we can give the gospel and yet still hear the heart of those who are receiving it. It's not enough just to speak it. We, we want it to land. We want it to transform them from the inside out. So love does not seek its own. Love is 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 not just insisting on its own rights. Okay, so needless to say, that it's a rare quality today when we think of others as greater than ourselves. Okay, uh, 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 in society, it's, it's often we're just surrounded by self-seeking people who don't tolerate anything. It's uh, they, they are their intolerance is overwhelming, right? And, and, and all we seem to hear today is tolerant. Be tolerant of this. Be tolerant of that. And yet, it's it's often uh, laced with intolerance. 
so this seems to be just surrounding us right now. I mean, you can go to any bookstore if you find any, if you find bookstores left in the world. Uh, you can go to any bookstore and pick up titles like Winning Through Intimidation, Looking Out for Number One, or even Creative Aggression. It's constantly about looking out for numero uno as opposed for those around us. And, and this is the culture that we live in, and that's not the love of God. That's not what we're to exhibit. In fact, we are to wash feet. We are to demonstrate that we care so much for those around us that we will be inconvenienced for them. We will sacrifice for them. If they need a coat, we'll not only give them our coat, but we'll give our, 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 our shirt as well. We'll give everything we can because it all belongs to the Lord, really. But a self-absorbed, narcissistic person cannot act in that manner. So we have to understand here that love is not possessive. It's not demanding. It's not stubborn or dominating. Love does not talk too much, but rather listens. Love does not insist on its own way. It's always willing to defer to others. In fact, love is self-sacrificing. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Yeah, number eight here, he says, love is not provoked. So love is not given to this emotional outburst. It's not exasperated by petty annoyances and refuses to let someone else get under their skin. Okay, so it, it's not going to just allow somebody to get the best of them. Emotion is a dangerous thing at times because we often are led by emotion. We allow reality to be defined by our emotion. And so these perceptions of re reality that are often provoked by emotion can often mislead us. And then we act in a, in a manner that's unbecoming of our role as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Okay, so then we find ourselves acting out in the flesh like we used to do that we shouldn't be doing anymore. And believe me, this is a daily exercise of bringing the flesh and conforming it to the image of Christ. You can't do this in your own strength. This is where the Holy Spirit really guides, leads, and transforms us from the inside out. You say, when someone else provokes me, it's not my fault. Well, yes, it is. We don't have to get irritated. In fact, if we restrict the flesh in that way, we're exercising true love. Love is not touchy. It's not like walking on eggshells around somebody. You really shouldn't have to do that in a loving relationship. And yet so often in counseling sessions, I hear that where one spouse is feeling like they have to walk on eggshells, not only around the other spouse, but maybe even around other folks. And especially even in the church. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm walking on eggshells here. You know, we find ourselves really just being very inconsistent as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It's, it's easy to demand of others what we ourselves fail to live up to on a daily basis. You know, people are so quick to take offense that you have to handle them with kid gloves at times, it seems. But still, the person who seizes upon something and twists it to make you look bad is somebody you just don't want to be around, and then they call themselves a Christian and then it causes us to have a great deal of frustration towards them and even being associated with them. And that person knows nothing of agape love when they do that. Love is not touchy. Love is grace-filled. It's important that we exhibit this correctly because we could chase people away from the truth by our actions. You may be the only Bible that somebody reads. You preach a sermon every day, whether you realize it or not, and sometimes you use words. Okay, you, you preach often, 
You're going to preach every day. And sometimes you're going to use words and actually be intentional with how you give the gospel message. But you give the gospel message by your actions, even when you think that somebody is not watching you. If you call yourself a Christian, then everything you do will be scrutinized. Your children are going to watch you. Your spouse is going to watch you. Coworkers, everyone around you is going to be looking for a reason, if they're not a believer, to say, well, look, there's your model of the Christian right there. We have got to lace what we do with grace. Don't compromise truth, but understand that how you give that message is going to be observed even more than it's heard. Now, love does not take into account a wrong that is suffered. So Paul uses the normal word here for bookkeeping. Love does not keep a ledger of evil deeds. Oh my goodness, this is such a big one here in counseling. It feels like at times that so often that those who are in a marital relationship, they feel like the other person is keeping a record of all of their wrongs. They've just been holding on to this, so the next mistake they make, it can be thrown right back in their face. Love does not keep a ledger of evil deeds. It doesn't write down every injury done and keep the account open to be settled someday in the future. Now, I know some people who are accomplished bookkeepers in regard to all of the injuries that they've been they've sustained in their lifetime. Love doesn't hang on to reminders of wrongs. Who are you keeping a book on? Are there some ledgers you need to go home and toss in the fireplace right now? I think we could all do a better job in that area. Now, forgiveness is a requirement of Christ followers. You may not realize that. It's a greater work of the Holy Spirit within us. Forgiveness is a requirement. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, Matthew 18, 20 to 22, and Ephesians 4, 32. So forgiveness is covered 95 times in the King James Bible. So when we stop and realize the magnitude of what Christ has done for us and how much grace and forgiveness we receive daily, then we ought to change our attitude about how we are judge, jury, and executioner over the lives of other people. You need to go back and read Matthew 7, 3 to 5. So let me just take you just briefly in the time that we have remaining to Matthew 18, 21 to 35 for just a moment. Now, this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Unforgiveness in the body of Christ has gone rampant. It is is tearing homes apart, and it is tearing the church apart. We're holding offenses against our brethren and allow churches to be divided over things that are not the main issues. Right now, we're even seeing churches being divided over masks, over those who wear them and those who do not. Those who are too close to you. It's been interesting. I've seen pictures of church groups gathered together in service in our community. And some of the comments were, where are your masks? Why are you within six feet of each other? Completely missing the great work that's being done and succumbing to fear rather than praising God that someone got off their couch and went and served faithfully for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are missing the obvious. So let's read this just here for a moment. We'll cover this to to some detail here. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Listen to these words. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Before the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle the counts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 
10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You can see that that's why it's so critical that as we exhibit agape love, if we truly understand the forgiveness that we have received from Jesus Christ. How can we possibly hold an offense against a brother or sister or even against the world? They're acting as sinners. Of course, they're going to offend you. Of course, they're going to come against you. Of course, you're going to suffer persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. But we don't like that. And then the flesh dominates our way of thinking. We react in emotion and not by way of the Holy Spirit that would guide us into an agape love response. You will be provoked most likely today. Somebody is going to push that button and and try to set off the old nature. And, And I would implore you, go to prayer right now. Ask the Lord to bring all that under subjection to the Holy Spirit, under His Word, that you would be an ambassador for Him, that if somebody slaps you, you are able to turn and give them the other cheek, that you're able to heap burning coals on their head by your obedience And this is not easy to do. In fact, it seems almost impossible at times in the flesh. But this is why we must go to prayer and do it often. Pray without ceasing, in fact. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, stay the course and know that your suffering is not in vain. You are planting seeds when you do not retaliate in wrath. A gentle answer will always turn away wrath. That requires an agape kind of love to be in us, working through us. I hope you've been encouraged today. We've got far more to cover here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's going to take us a few weeks to get through this, and it's important that we understand it so that we can exhibit love in a culture that seems incredibly hostile right now. And it needs the love of Jesus. It needs to see bright light in these dark places. Again, I want to encourage you, please go and visit our website at calvaryfountain.com. Again, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. Again, we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Until next time, God bless.